Kia ora koutou and welcome to Primary Matters, a podcast about the things that matter to the primary industries. I'm Carol Stiles. Thanks for your company. In the last edition of Primary Matters, we spoke to MPI's John Roche about the approaching El Nino and dry summer that scientists and meteorologists are expecting, and about support available to farmers and growers. Today I'm with a dairy farmer who has been assiduously preparing for the predicted El Nino and all it will and won't bring. Pete Morgan calves 530 cows and raises all of his young stock on 230 hectares. He's farmed through many dry summers and droughts in his 30-year dairy farming career. Today, though, his farm looks lush. We are. Welcome to the South Waikato. This is the area of uh, Pokuru, just south of Te Aumuru. And this is this lovely rolling land, uh, light myro ash soil. Is this typically green for this time of year? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, just nestled between the mountains here, Mangatautri, Kakapuku and Parongia, we, we do get rain come through pretty regularly. Pretty much guaranteed till we get to early December. What are you anticipating might happen this summer? Well, on one hand, we know that... Outside Marcy. We know that... We're in really volatile times, so we've got trying to get used to each year positioning ourselves whichever direction we'll go. So, yep, we're gearing up, listening to the um, the noise coming through from Niwa and the, the primary scientists uh, here, not only here but in other parts of the world that are also affected, and preparing for what <coughs> what will probably be a slightly delayed El Nino, but at this stage it's all on, certainly from late January. When you've had an El Nino weather pattern come through in previous years, mm-hmm. what's it done to your farm? Well, the Waikato still seemed to have rain coming through, but it became so much less probability of it ever coming to your specific area. And we would see that the joke between farmers was, I saw the rain coming over your place, it missed mine. And if you talk to any of those other farmers, they were saying exactly the same thing. So we're actually not <laughs> sure where the hell it did go. Uh, so when it's come through before, we've realised that once it actually starts becoming dry, late January, that the dry had actually started significantly beforehand. When it did bite, how well or badly set up we were was a huge determinant as how we would weather through it, through the, the difficult mid-January right through to April. When you talk about being well set up, you're talking yep. about how many su- supplements you had on hand, yep. how many stock you were carrying. That's it, yep, right across the whole spectrum. Being set up for these difficult periods of dry starts significantly beforehand, like up to two months. Describe what this landscape looks like in a terribly dry year. Oh, it is extraordinary. Because the changes happen very gradually, you can actually get caught out so so easily by not realising that things have changed in front of your eyes, but very slowly. It feels like almost glacial. So at the moment you're looking out on r- rolling Light to dark green, uh, average pasture covers, which is the amount of feed that we go into, absolutely ideal for what the cows need at the moment. And how quickly we go around the farm is a large part of the preparation. We call it round length, so it's how long it takes to go right around the farm. And the assertive way of doing it is you actually go around really fast, and it's reckless, but you can feed the cows well, but you can come unstuck very easily. So we start becoming quite conservative as we hit December. We're only a week or so away from it and we will be sudden to slow down how fast we go through the farm with the grazing, build cover ahead, so the amount of feed that we have. And what you see out here, as we go into January, will start looking longer and darker green. And then as the dry bites, the green will lighten up 
it starts looking light brown and then it does this crazy thing it actually goes white to actually have everything you see out there with either shades of very light brown or pure white because you've now got so dry and so much sun you've actually bleached all of the chlorophyll out that's when you know that you're really really dry how does it feel when you look out across mm-hmm. a landscape like that it's oh, there's no doubt it is very very tough and you think that the toughness is how you actually build a plan ahead um, how you're going to feed your cows and building a feed budget how you manage the supplement uh, yes that's absolutely critical uh, that you actually have a very set plan not only for how you're going to manage now but a variety of plans ahead as to how long this goes on or not we, we liken it to building a bridge into the f- through fog to the other side but we don't know how long it'll take us or how far the other side is away um, and the other side being the autumn rains that come in and, and save us every year uh, they could be in beginning of March or they could be not till June again June which we had two years ago was a very 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 long time between drinks we call it um, and therefore managing your headspace is extremely difficult and becomes then the most important thing for me for how I manage my staff even though they're on a salary, they're still going to get paid, they start really feeling it because they don't have the depth of understanding that we have, that we will manage through. We take evasive action very, very early. So we will reduce the number of surplus stock as we go into the summer. Uh, We'll meter out carefully the supplement we've got uh, and the crops. And then we will sequentially start drying off, which means we'll stop milking and put onto just the diet they need. Um, Because milking cows require more food. They need twice what the, what the um, dry cow needs. It's one of the most important things. Is I've never never regretted drying off significantly earlier. And I know what it's like to just wait too long and take your eye off the ball. If, if you knew how long it was going to last, you could weather through, but it's just you just don't know. And, of course, remember, this is an environment where everyone's dry. There is no surplus feed to be bought. But once you've got a plan, and as you start to execute it, particularly if you're conservative and start executing early, this is drying off cows and um, destocking. That is amazing, having some assurity that you'll manage it. Funnily enough, just keeping yourself busy when things are going on and wrong is a really good thing, You have, rather than just sitting there and wondering. Having said that, we've also got a saying that we never waste a good payout crash or a good drought. And that is that we have some really deep learnings in them really important that we'll go through and not only about how to manage the system but how to manage ourselves how important it is to get off farm and go and see other farmers spend more time with our farm now we go on once a day um, milking as we go into January every year anyway and so we get all these afternoons that are beautifully sunny a good drought means we have these sunny days so why not go off and meet the family get to the beach for the day go to the lake uh, or even just have all our farm now come and spend time on the farm and um, that's once you start mixing with other people, that's huge help. What are you doing right now? Are you growing more supplementary feed? Uh, absolutely. So all you need to do is just build a base plan around how tough you think it's going to be, work out how much feed you're going to need, and then add in a factor to do with risk. So how much worse could it be? So we're growing about 11 hectares of maize. We would normally have um, eight. We've already conserved probably 60 tonne of grass silage. We'll have another 30 or 40 out. Uh, that's probably about 30% more than we normally have. Uh, we've got plantain and chicory in that's established early and really well. All of those things are meaning that worst case scenario, we will actually end up using all of those 
and would have been worth it. Best case scenario, we get to carry them over to next year. So it's all good. You're not counting on buying in any fee? No. no none at all. We've got a small amount of PK that we've contracted ahead um, that we'll kernel. need. Yep, palm kernel. Um, and that's really, we only feed a tiny amount just to get some minerals into the cows. Because there's going to be high demand, the yep. price is going to skyrocket. Exactly. When you've gone through dry summers in the past, mm-hmm. what have you done wrong? Oh, mate, we've, <laughs> we've done it all. I tell you what, life is, a, life is a very effective teacher if you're prepared to learn. So we have bought in very expensive feed to keep cows milking when it wasn't economical. So we've learnt now, dry off early, stop milking, look after the cows. Um, we had a famous year about seven, eight years ago where we, we stay very close with about a dozen farmers that we've met with uh, for probably 17, 18 years. And we would regularly, three or four times a year, we'd go to a different farmer's farm. And we had this epic year where we got hit so hard with this drought. And we had a whole range of approaches at the end of the season, how we approached it. We had some that did nothing, and therefore they just dried off early, went to the beach. Uh, we put probably about 50k of feed in and milked on and tried to make it work. It was extremely difficult, uh, wasn't profitable. We actually ended up at sort of made no extra money out of it um, for a lot of extra work and risk. And we had one guy put 500k in. All of us ended up exactly the same. So if those of us who had been more conservative ended up with the same profitability at the end as those that had just put crazy amounts of feed in there. So some really good lessons, not only from me, you know, I played, made plenty of mistakes, but it's just so, if we get to share these things and be really honest, it's some really neat collective learning. And it's one of the unique things about New Zealand. We do that very, very well. Because it must be awful looking out and seeing your, your animals hot, yep. a bit short of feed. It is. Oh, it's terrible. We really care for our animals, as all of my peers do, deeply. And my staff, incredibly so. But yeah, that's without a doubt, that's, that's the worst thing, going to see them at night and knowing that you're not entirely sure where the next meal's coming from for them. Um, and that's one of the reasons we've driven such a, a more robust and conservative system. Uh, funnily enough, it's made us better farmers and we're just as profitable as we were before. That part, the welfare of the animals uh, and everything that it means, is incredibly important to us uh, as it is to most farmers and really important to our products and the way that they're seen um, as to our care of our land and our animals. Conversely, as we get that right, that's where our premium is coming from, that people know and trust the food, where it comes from, what the impacts to everything were. Um, heat stress are probably one of the, the other big areas. We've only had one year where we had uh, a perfect storm. And so in this one year, which was about three years ago, we had the big impact of uh, daytime temperatures in the 30s, more significantly nighttime temperatures in the 20s because these animals need to cool down at least for some period in 24 hours and if they didn't manage that the next day they would be hit even harder so with the particularly with the virtual fencing that we manage now so um, using holter we're able to plan ahead have the animals at the hottest parts of the day where they're not eating for about six or eight hours of the day um, because it's so hot and that's fine but we will therefore have them in areas we can move them anywhere to the farm where they'll have shade airflow uh, ad-lib water from multiple sources and then we'll time all of the rest of the feeding through the day and even at one in the morning to actually completely adapt around what, what they actually suits them. Uh, the other factor of course that happens is in the Waikato very high humidity so those things all can conspire. Do you have sprinklers in the shed? We do, absolutely. So they get a cool shower? They get a cool shower, the shed's misted through and trust me 
the cows and we hugely appreciate it. <laughs> it's just so good. Hello, you. Hello, Jake. Good boy. Outside. Off you go. Go on. No, no, no. So, in actual fact, one of the biggest things is to make sure there's no carryover impact to the next season. And when you say that, you mean that you want your animals to be in decent condition? Yep. yep. Yeah, you still we, want to have feed for yep. when they're getting ready to calve? That's it. Yep. And have the pastures in good shape because remember, the impact on animals is absolutely first, but the impact on our land, uh, when the soil reaches a critically low level of moisture, the plants reach uh, a wilting point, it's called. And once they get past that, you can actually have plant death. And then even when the rains come, you've got nothing there to grow if it gets, ends up critically damaged. So that is something that we spend a lot of time planning, uh, all my regrassing. And then management-wise, if we don't graze the, the pastures too hard in that dry summer, even though it looks like there's nothing there, um, that has a huge uh, impact on how well they actually recover when the rain does come. And then we'll do things like have sacrifice paddocks that we will concentrate the animals on, feed feed out supplement there just to take the pressure off the farm. So the cows will eat mm -hmm. white looking pasture? Oh, tell you what, we call it freeze dried. They'll be out there in the pasture will look like there's nothing there but when you go and look closely, yes there's leaves and yes they'll be brown or white and there'll be little crinkly clover plants but nutritionally they still have everything that they actually need. We haven't lost most of the nutrients that are there so that's fine but once that's gone and there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And then it's even worse because when the rain comes, this is something that you learn about droughts, that's when your worst problem happens. Because whatever grass was still there was so dried that when the moisture came, it would decay. Like within four or five days, whatever feed you still had on the farm was completely gone. So then you were really starting from zero. So what we do is we try and preserve a significant amount of supplement. Um, so this is silage and maize and the likes so that when the rain comes, you can go to almost 100% of their diet based on supplement. You, you reduce the amount of area you graze each day down to next to nothing and just hold on tight for about three or four weeks. And if you can do that, then the grass starts growing ahead and then you're away. It must sound quite different when you walk about your farm. It, must it does. Crunchy. It's crunchy. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, you're right. You'll go around, particularly if you're going out in the dark, and it's surreal because you're surrounded by this warm air. There's this beautiful savoury smell everywhere, savoury sweet. Um, it was just the grass basically been baking. And yes, it's crunchy. And then the, even the sound of uh, um, the insects, because of course the uh, things like the uh, crickets uh, really thrive in that environment because there's big cracks opening up. And um, yeah, it's a very spooky, different feeling. It's kind of nice. Having young kids probably was a really neat thing to have during droughts because you learned to protect them from your stresses and you'd actually get out there and roll around in the dry grass and make hay and all of that things and just realise again you just don't waste that opportunity to learn and just enjoy the sun. It's, it's going to be hot and sunny regardless of how you decide you're going to react to it so you may as well just try and embrace the best part of it. Yep. And it's going to rain. And then right now... <laughs> As we're talking, we're in the Waikato, our nearest little maunga, uh, Kekapuku, is just being enveloped by another beautiful uh, little rain front coming through. So, And I heard thunder before. Exactly. Yeah, we're due thunderstorms this afternoon. It's late November. Any of these from now on is gold. We absolutely uh, 
yeah, appreciate appreciate all of them. Yep, here's the few first spots of rain. We always say this might be the last rain we get till next autumn, so don't don't waste it. <laughs> Waikato farmer Pete Morgan. If you work on the land and need help with decision making, you can call MPI's on farm support team on 0800 70 71 33. The Rural Support Trust is also on hand to help. I'm Carol Stiles. You've been listening to Primary Matters, an MPI podcast. Thanks for joining me. Kia pai tada. Thank you.